Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. And it's never good to go against the will of God. It's never good to go against the Word of God. When God says to do something, it's our great delight. It ought to be our privilege to just obey God. And, you know, and Balaam was one of these stubborn individuals, and we see people like that. Maybe you even see some of it in yourself where you're just like, you know, I, I know what your Word says, Lord, but I, I got a good idea. I got a better idea. And, and maybe there's some kind of sin issue. There's some kind of root of bitterness in you. There's some root of something inside of you, and you're not willing to let it go. You're not willing to let it go, even though he's been urging you and urging you, and you're just, you, you resist him, resist him, resist him. And there comes a time where God says, if that's what you want, I'm going to let you have it. I'm going to let you taste the fruit of what it is that you want. Welcome, everyone, to this edition of Truth in Christ Radio. Today, Pastor Rob takes us on a journey through the Old Testament to explain why the Ammonites and the Moabites were excluded from the congregation of the nation of Israel and the involvement of Balaam and his attempt to curse Israel. As Christians, we know that any attempt to circumvent the will of God causes negative consequences. God's grace is not to be taken lightly and deserves our undivided attention. We are to obey God and leave the consequences up to Him. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 23 and follow along with Pastor Rob. J. Vernon McGee, um, a pastor, an old, older pastor, he said this concerning an illegitimate so-called Christian. And he's recalling an event. He says, he says I've met a lot of pastors. And he says, and one Baptist pastor told, me, he told him, he said, and I quote, There are a lot of baptized pagans today. They are hell-doomed sinners, and they think because they have been baptized that they are children of God. And he goes on and he says, have you been born again? He says, I don't care how many ceremonies you have been through or how many churches you have joined or how religious you may be, unless you are a child of the king, you are illegitimate. And see, that's a great call for us because now we get to go out and share the message to make people legitimate sons and daughters of the king, right? And I love that. But we are the children of God. In verse 3, he goes on and he says, An Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. Again, another stipulation. Even to the tenth generation, none of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord forever. And I don't know if that tenth generation, you know, we read that in verse 2, and we're seeing it again here in verse 3, but this one has a little bit more information, doesn't it? It says, even to the tenth generation, none of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord forever. So I don't know if this is one of those phrases that's used to just connotate, in other words, they, they can never enter. It, it could be, or it could literally mean, uh, like in verse 2, it could li literally mean a tenth generation. I don't know how they would go about, you know, marking the days or marking the years for that kind of thing, but we'll just leave that alone. 
because when we don't know, it's better not to assume anything. But the son of Ammon and Moabite, these were two different people groups that were born of two separate sons, uh, the, the son of Ammon and the son of Moab. And you remember, they were illegitimate sons because they were born from an incestuous relationship. In fact, why don't you turn with me to Genesis chapter 19, and we're just going to look at verses 30 through 38, and we're going to see what this is all about. And this is uh, something you all know. Genesis 19. It says, verse 30, it says, Then Lot went up from Zoar and dwelt in the mountains. And again, this is right after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And you remember that Lot and his daughters were taken out and... Uh, Lot's wife didn't make it because she turned and she became a pillar of salt. And God judged her right on the spot. But they flee and they go up to the mountains. And for it says there in verse 30, For he was afraid to dwell in Zoar, and he and his two daughters dwelt in a cave. Now the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is no man on the earth to come into us, as is the custom of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him that we may preserve the lineage of our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. Now, you know, isn't it crazy? You think about this, and it's just horrifying for us to even consider this. It's, it's really twisted. But, you know, think of the twisted environment that they were in. <laughs> they were in Sodom and Gomorrah. They were in the most twisted, sexually perverse place on the planet that God had to finally say enough is enough, and he had to judge it, right? And they come out of that. Is it any wonder that now the girls are thinking strange thoughts and the devil planting these things in their head? But notice the, the, the ramifications of these decisions that these two young ladies are making. No decision you make is ever in, a, in, a, in isolation because every situation, every decision you make has external, has future ramifications, and we're going to see that right now. He says, they said, come, let, let us make our father drink and that we may lie with him. And so the firstborn went in and lay with her father, and he did not know where she lay down. And when he arose, they gave him, must have given him a lot of wine. And it happened on the next day, verse 34, that the firstborn said to the younger, indeed, I lay with my father last night. Wow, aren't you proud? I lay with my father last night. Let us make him drink wine tonight also, and you go in and lie with him, that he may preserve, that we may preserve the lineage of our father. And then they made him, their father, drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. And thus, verse 36, both daughters of Lot were with child by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. And that's what we're reading right here in verse 3 of, of Deuteronomy. An Ammonite or a Moabite shall not enter into the assembly. Why? Because they're illegitimate. They were born of an incestuous relationship. But it gets, there's even more to it, especially concerning Moab. So the firstborn uh, bore a son, Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. And the younger, she also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the people of Ammon to this day. And you'll notice in this verse here, let's go back to verse 3 of Deuteronomy 23. In addition to their, these, this people group that started with these two young, young men, in addition to them being born of incest, notice it says, they did not meet you with bread and water. These are the reasons 
This is additional reasons why God is not going to allow them to come into the congregation because they did not meet with you with bread and water. They, they weren't hospitable to the children of Israel as they were coming out of the land of Egypt. They should have, because they were somewhat related, they, they, they should have um, opened, had open arms, but instead they resisted them. And then King Balak, uh, the king of the Moabites, we're going to hear a little bit later, he hired Balaam, the son of Beor, to come against them. And, and these are the reasons that God says they are not allowed. They're illegitimate, number one. Number two, they didn't give you any hospitality when you came out of Egypt. And on top of that, Balak, the king of the Moabites, hired Balaam to come against you. It's interesting to me when you think of Ammonite and the Moabite, that David's great-grandmother was a Moabite. And as with God's laws and his things, his commandments, there's every now and then there's an exception. You know, the law of the firstborn, we know that, you know, there was exception, exceptions to that. You know, even though Esau was the firstborn, you know, the, the, the rule of the firstborn went to, to Jacob instead. And, and there, there are other little things like that in the Bible where God makes something, uh, makes a commandment, and sometimes there's uh, variations on that that he allows for his own purposes, for his purposes. And also, it's interesting that Ruth, so she was the great-grandmother of David, King David. She was a Moabitess. And also Rehoboam, remember Solomon's son, Rehoboam, his mother's name was Naamah, and she was an Ammonitess. She was from the race of this, these people that we're talking about right now. So does God make exceptions? He does. But over the, the, the vast majority of them, he says, they cannot enter in to the congregation. And neither of these two nations were hospitable to the children of Israel. In fact, in, in Numbers, it's recorded for us in Numbers chapter 22 through 24. I'd really encourage you to read that sometime. We're not going to take the time to read uh, those chapters tonight, but basically uh, Balak, the king of Moab, wants to curse Israel. As he sees the children of Israel coming out of Egypt and they're coming into his land, he's naturally very frightened because this is uh, quite a few people, <laughs> you know, at least two million perhaps by this time. They're coming into the land. He's frightened. What am I going to do with all these people? Are they coming up to, to dispossess me? You know, so he's very uptight about this. So he goes out and he hires Balaam, who was a, a prophet, and um, not a good prophet. I would say he's probably a, a false prophet, or at least a, a greedy prophet. He's certainly not a good prophet. But notice the king, Balak, hires Balaam to come to do what? To curse the children of Israel, as if that could work. You know, I mean, if God is for them, who can be against them? You know, we read it tonight. If God is for us, who can be against us, right? But it doesn't stop them. And you remember that e each attempt that Balaam makes to try and curse, God says, don't you curse them, you bless them. And here's what you say. And each time, Balak is upping the ante. Well, we'll give you more money. <laughs> well, you know, uh, you're a prophet for hire, right? I'm just going to give you more money. And eventually, you're going to tell me what I want to hear, you know. If you put enough money on the plate, eventually, most people go, okay. Uh, 1.5 million, will, I, could, I could do it for 1.5, but no, nah, not for just one. I might be able to snarl at them, but I can't put anything in writing, man. Sorry. It's not contractual. Won't hold up in court. You know, no. 
each little dirty trick he tries to do, God counteracts him. And let's read chapter 25 of Numbers. Let's read the entire chapter. I just want to show something here. It's kind of interesting. So after all this, you know, they're, they're, the king of Moab is trying to get Balaam to curse. Finally, they, he, you know, so it says Balaam in Numbers 24, the very last verse. So Balaam arose and departed and returned to his place, and Balak also went his way because he wasn't getting his way. But notice what Balaam did, whisper into the ear of King Balak. He says, I'm not going to curse him, but I can tell you something. If you get these Moabite ladies to come out, the Hebrew boys aren't going to be able to stand themselves. You know, just put a little perfume here and there. Maybe you have something a little bit lower cut. Trust me, nature will take over, and God, it'll bring God's judgment upon them. They'll do it. They'll bring God's judgment upon them. All you've got to do is send out the ladies, right? And the plan worked. And I'll tell you why. It's not specifically stated in Scripture directly, but we know that it happened because of something that we're going to read in just a minute. But notice, it says in verse tw- or chapter 25, Now Israel remained in the Acacia Grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab, and they invited the people to all the sacrifices of their gods. So now the Moabites are already infiltrating now, which is exactly what um, the king of Moab wanted, because God would have to judge Israel for this. They invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was roused against Israel. And then the Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord out in the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. So Moses did, or said to the judges of Israel, Every one of you kill his um, men who were joined to Baal. Baal of Peor. And indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren of Moses, in the sight of Moses. I'm sorry, I skipped a verse here. And indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and the sight of the congregation of the children of Israel, who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle meeting. Now when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand, and he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman through her body. So the plague was stopped among the children of Israel. And so this whole thing worked. What Balaam said to Balak kind of offline is working. And, and, and God was going to uh, not be happy with that. And the reason we know that is because in Revelation chapter 2, this is what Jesus said concerning what we just read. I mean, there's more to it, but for time's sake, you can read it if you'd like. But Jesus said this in his letter to the church of Pergamos, In Revelation chapter 2, he said, These things, says he who has the sharp two-edged sword, he says, I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. Notice here. But I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to do two things to eat things, sacrifice to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. So we know that Jesus knows. Jesus knew what Balaam told Balak to do. I'm not going to curse these people, but if you, want to, if you want them to be judged, you just do this thing and God will take care of the rest. And God says, 
That's what happened. Balaam taught him, taught them to do this. And it's interesting, too, as we look in Second Peter chapter 2, in verse 15, Peter's addressing false teachers and false prophets. And in verse 15, he says, they've forsaken, these false teachers, they've forsaken the right way and they've gone astray. Notice, following what? The way of Balaam, the son of Baor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he was rebuked for his iniquity. The dumb donkey, speaking with a man's voice, restrained the madness of the prophet. And I love what it says in Jude. <laughs> that little spooky book right before Revelation. Speaking of apostates and false teachers, Jude says this in verse 11, Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. They have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. And I want you to turn to uh, Numbers 31, because we're going to look at the very end, unfortunately, of Balaam. You know, God didn't delight in the fact that this happened, but you know, when a person's course is bent on false, falseness, there's only one thing that happens to that. The Bible is true. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But look what happened to Balaam. In Numbers chapter 31, right after this event that we are reading about in, in chapter 25, just a few moments ago, where they went out and... and uh, committed adultery with those uh, young ladies from Midian and Moab. Finally, God says, he speaks to Moses, saying, Take vengeance on the Midianites for the children of Israel. Afterward, you shall be gathered to your people. So Moses spoke to the people, saying, Arm yourselves, some of yourselves, for war, and let them go against the Midianites to take vengeance for the Lord on Midian. A thousand from each tribe. Of all the tribes of Israel, you shall send to the war. So they were recruited from the divisions of Israel, 1,000 from each tribe. And let me just go right down at the end. So they break down into this war against the Midianites, just as the Lord commanded. And they killed all the males. In verse 8, they killed the kings of Midian with the rest of those who were killed. And it lists them, Evi, Rechim, Zur, Hur, Hur, and Reba, and then the five kings of Midian. Notice, it's almost like a postscript to the whole thing. And Balaam, the son of Beor, they also killed with the sword. And, you know, his heart was not right, and God exposed it. And for whatever reason, he, he, it was his time to go. And so God, um, I believe, allowed Balaam to taste the fruit of his doings. And there we have it. And it's never good to go against the will of God. It's never good to go against the word of God. When God says to do something, it's our great delight. It ought to be our privilege to just obey God. And, you know, and Balaam was one of these stubborn individuals, and we see people like that. Maybe you even see some of it in yourself where you're just like, you know, I, I know what your word says, Lord, but I, I got a good idea. I got a better idea. And, and maybe there's some kind of sin issue. There's some kind of root of bitterness in you. There's some root of something inside of you, and you're not willing to let it go. You're not willing to let it go, even though he's been urging you and urging you, and you're just, you, you resist him, resist him, resist him. And there comes a time where God says, if that's what you want, I'm going to let you have it. I'm going to let you taste the fruit of what it is that you want. He never likes to do that, but I know I've seen him do it in my own life, and I've seen him do it in others' lives. And it's a scary thing when you start messing with the grace of God. He's very gracious. And how he knows, and it's different for everybody, isn't it? 
You might be able to get away with the same thing for a, a year, and he might only allow this person, for some reason, only get away with that for two weeks. And he, he does something and just he chastens them, and they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> so we have to, it's good to be obedient to the Lord because we love him. He knows what's best for us. He wants to love on you. He wants to love on me. And the safest place is obedience, isn't it? Everybody smile and say amen. Yeah, it is. It's good. And regardless of what the enemy has, notice verse verse 5 here. It says, Nevertheless, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loves you. And you know, there's no matter what the enemy has against you, he can do nothing unless God allows it for some reason. And the reason, whatever it is, will always be to build you up, to strengthen you, and encourage you in your faith, but never to destroy you on purpose. We destroy ourselves by giving in to things and continuing in rebellion. But God's heart is to chasten you if necessary, but to build you up and to strengthen you. In verse 6, he goes on, he says, You shall not seek their, their peace nor their prosperity all your days forever. And, um, and again, we looked at Ruth. You know, she was a wonderful um, a, uh, exception, and even in the lineage of Jesus Christ. I love the fact that in Matthew chapter 1, there's this wonderful lineage of of Jesus, and two of the most surprising things, people in that is, one is a Moabitess, Ruth, and another one is a harlot, Rahab, a Gentile, you know, and then and then Moab, or, you know, this um, Ruth from, Mo, uh, from Moab, and they're both in the line of Jesus. Isn't that crazy? But that's, that's the way the Lord is. He's, he's very gracious. And very loving. In verse 7 it says, You shall not abhor an Edomite, for he is your brother. You shall not abhor an, e- an Egyptian, because you were an alien in his land. You, you know that Edom is Esau. That's Jacob's brother. So they really were related. And there are um, instances in the Bible where, uh, you know, the Edomites weren't very kind to the children of Israel either. And it says, the children of the third generation born to them of, of the Edomites and the Egyptians, the third born to them, the third generation born to them may enter the assembly. And so there's a stipulation there. I think that's interesting. Let's look at verse 9 and read down through verse 14, and then we'll get into the second section here. It says, when the army goes out against your enemies, then you keep yourself from every wicked thing. If there is any man among you who becomes unclean by some occurrence in the night, then you shall go outside the camp, and he shall not come inside the camp. But it shall be when evening comes that he shall wash with water, and when the sun sets, he may come into the camp. Also you shall have a place outside the camp where you may go out and you shall have an implement among your equipment, i.e. a small shovel, and when you sit down outside and cover your refuse. For the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp to deliver you and give your enemies over to you. Therefore your camp shall be holy, shall be separate, that he may see no unclean thing among you and turn away from you. You know, I think that kind of speaks for itself. You know, it's interesting, there have been a lot of cases in history in times of war where armies wouldn't do this very thing. They would go out and they'd use the restroom because they're out there in the middle of the field or wherever they're at, and they wouldn't cover it up. They would just go and they wouldn't cover it up. And God's saying, you know, be decent, will you? Just uh, take a shovel and cover it up. And, and, And there's a reason for that. It's not only clean, cleaner, 
but it's also because of disease, because that stuff left un, unchecked over a period of time brings about so many different kinds of diseases, and sometimes the enemy uh, gets wiped out by their own Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Deuteronomy. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location and service times, and much more. You can even download the radio and sanctuary messages in MP3 format free of charge from the resources link. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play or Apple Podcast. We are so glad that you could join us today, and if there is any way that we could bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.